Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Advances in the Treatment of Mesothelioma. And today's program is a collaborative effort, a partnership between the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation and Cancer Care, and we're delighted to have this collaboration um, with them on this program. It's such a fitting collaboration to have, and we'll have their um, executive director speaking on the program as well, so um, just delighted to hear more about this wonderful resource for all of you. And uh, today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and NovoCure, and I really want to thank them for their support. Now, we have over 225 participants on today's program, and you come from all of the United States from both um, urban, rural, and suburban areas, and we also have international participants from Canada, Egypt, Iraq, Italy, Malaysia, Portugal, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, United Arab Emirates, and United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well, and we really want to thank you for all spending this next hour with us to learn more about mesothelioma. Now, before we actually start with our first speaker, um, I have a few questions I'd like to ask all of you, and um, they're yes-no questions, just to get a sense of what you know coming into this program. So I'm going to start with the first question. And the first question is, I understand the treatment options for mesothelioma, either yes or no. And the second question is, I know about advances in the treatment of mesothelioma, yes or no? And the third question is, I know how to manage side effects, discomfort, and pain, yes or no? And the fourth and last question is, I understand the importance of physical activity and tips to keep active, yes or no. Okay, well, thank you for participating in this with us, these questions. We appreciate your feedback. It will help us as we plan future programs. Now to move on, our first speaker is Dr. Richard Grawler. Dr. Grawler is Professor of Medicine, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Jacoby Medical Center. And Dr. Grawler is going to set the tone for today's program. He's going to provide an overview of mesothelioma in the context of COVID-19. He will also be addressing communicating with your healthcare team about quality of life and lifestyle concerns. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grawler. Well, hello, and thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm Dr. Richard Grau. I'm a medical oncologist at the Albert Einstein Cancer Center in New York. As Carolyn mentioned, I have the pleasure of introducing this program, which will discuss many aspects of mesothelioma. We'll also make a few comments emphasizing caution during this difficult time of the COVID-19 or coronavirus infection. We're really fortunate to have a most knowledgeable and helpful panel on the call today. I'm particularly pleased to serve on this panel with my old friends, Dr. Hetty Kendler, who will address treatment and other related factors, and Mary Hessdorfer from the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, as well as having really interesting information from Donna Wilson. Carol Ferenc will inform us about related cancer care programs, so I very much look forward to their presentations. And let's get started. What is mesothelioma? Malignant mesothelioma is a cancer of the covering or lining of several different organs, most often the pleura, which covers the lung and the inside of the chest cavity, or the peritoneum, 
which is the lining tissue of the abdomen, or of the covering of the heart, the pericardium. And there are even some rarer forms, but about 90% of mesothelioma is plural, especially in the U.S. and Europe, so we'll concentrate on plural mesothelioma, but most of the discussion will be relevant to peritoneal mesothelioma and some other mesothelioma presentations as well. While it is a cancer of the pleura, or covering of the lung and lining tissue of the lung cavity, it's not lung cancer itself. Why not? Lung cancer is also called bronchogenic carcinoma, which means it starts within the lung or bronchial tubes. Rather than mesothelioma, which starts in the pleura, the covering, not the lung itself. And it looks very different under the microscope, but it can be pretty difficult to diagnose even microscopically. Nonetheless, experienced pathologists do special studies on biopsy tissues that are very helpful in telling typical lung cancer, often adenocarcinoma, from mesothelioma. I think it's a reasonable uh, point now to bring up the fact that we're discussing this during the very strange time of the COVID pandemic. These are certainly not normal times. We, of course, need to be very careful with COVID around us but we should be especially cautious of extra risk for those with mesothelioma. We understand that people with cancer and those with medical issues that affect respiratory breathing function are in fact at extra risk for problems if they become infected with COVID. Cancer Care has done several programs recently regarding COVID and cancer, which include protecting yourself and your family, and you may wish to access these. But in brief, I'd just like to review a few items. First, if one has mesothelioma, please be guided by your treatment and care team. All oncology units have gone to remarkable lengths to enhance your safety for your visits. So communicate closely regarding your in-person visits or televisits, treatment, and testing. Your team has your best interests firmly in mind. There's been very good news about the strong potential for help from vaccines just rolling out today. So this is no time to take one's guard down. Just the opposite. We need to be very careful at this time while awaiting uh, receiving the vaccine and it producing immunity, especially in the community at large. I will just review some of the important safety measures that are key. All of us are now aware of the term social distancing, being at least six feet or two meters from others and in many states and countries about isolating at home. These protections are true for all and even more vital for those at elevated risk, as includes mesothelioma. Staying at home as much as possible is really good advice to limit the spread and reduce personal risk. Studies have shown that the virus can live for many hours on most surfaces, but we should not lose sight of the fact that it's person-to-person respiratory breathing spread that is indeed the main risk of getting this infection, as the CDC has recently emphasized. Indeed, cleaning surfaces with potent chemicals like bleach or strong alcohol or products like Lysol or Clorox remain important. Good hand washing with soap and water is excellent, frequently and for at least 20 seconds and after any possible contacts. The soap need not be so-called antibacterial soap, just regular soap and follow the 20-second thorough hand washing. If soap and water is not available, alcohol hand sanitizers with about 60 to 70 percent alcohol are a good measure. <clears throat> Masks are very helpful. Over the mouth and, yes, over the nose. The typical surgical mask or the cloth, perhaps even homemade mask, generally protects others against the person wearing it with some modest additional protection for the one wearing a mask. Everyone close by needs to wear one just like we all do in the hospital. So for our patients and family members at particular risk, including those with cancer and those who may be undergoing treatment, we have to insist that those nearby must wear masks, period. We must avoid others who have the infection. This is not easy to do in the home, but it's a priority. Every family needs to think about a plan for your own home as to how to handle the situation if a member of the household needs to isolate or begins to show symptoms or is known to have the infection. This includes the person with cancer and any others in the home. 
Again, consider accessing the cancer care programs dealing with COVID and cancer, which you might find interesting and important. Now back more specifically to mesothelioma. It's much less common than lung cancer. About 2% as often, or 2,000 to 3,000 cases per year in the U.S. But it's on the rise in many countries. Men are about four times more likely to get mesothelioma than women. And it's somewhat age-related, much more common in people in their 60s than in those in their 30s or 40s, with the average age of diagnosis in people in their upper 60s or lower 70s. The pleura, there are two surfaces to the pleura, and you may hear the terms visceral pleura, or covering of the lung itself, or parietal pleura, the lining of the inside of the chest cavity. The pleura is pain sensitive. We've all heard of pleurisy, which we think of as being painful. So presenting symptoms of mesothelioma often include pain in 70 to 90% of people, and because damage to the pleura can make it more difficult for the, for the lung to function normally, shortness of breath is pretty common. Shortness of breath is often caused because of effusions, that is, fluid collecting in the chest cavity, or adhesions or scarring. All these limit the ability of the lung to fully expand and work normally. Fatigue is seen with many cancers, Maybe in this case, in mesothelioma, it's related to both pain and to shortness of breath. Less common, but certainly occurring, are cough and things like decreased appetite. Now, let's take into account that symptoms can differ among individuals. I can't overemphasize the importance of communicating clearly with your doctors and nurses about what's bothering you. This surely applies when discussing mesothelioma, but indeed for all cancers. Communication and getting your questions addressed is not a complaint or imposition. It's what we as healthcare professionals are all supposed to be doing. Another reason to communicate is so that your care can be individualized, so that you can have as positive an effect as possible in preserving and improving quality of life. Supportive care or help with symptoms and issues can be as individualized and complicated as anti-cancer care itself and that some of the problems or symptoms occur only in some patients and not in others. By talking about problems, we can apply the best remedies. In fact, a new term is now called patient reported outcomes, or PROs. This reflects that in many areas, only through the patient and family input can we, we as healthcare professionals really understand the problems. Of course, in many instances, your nurse or doctor may raise the issue but there's no reason to stand on ceremony. It's fine to bring it up. In fact, it's appreciated. Physicians, nurses, social workers, pharmacists, among others in oncology, spend a great deal of time educating themselves about the best approaches to these problems, and their oncology organizations do the same. I find it interesting that large surveys show that patients and families are equally interested in learning more about anti-cancer treatments and in ways to prevent or treat symptoms or side effects. And about 95% of patients and families say that these are important or very important to them. So communication with your healthcare team is just the way to enhance your care. Now a little bit more about mesothelioma. The diagnosis is generally suspected after a chest X-ray or CAT scan reveals the pattern of pleural involvement that is typical. The more common condition of lung cancer is often first suspected or a metastatic cancer, that is cancer coming from elsewhere to the lung or pleural. Pleural fluid is often taken, but the fluid itself may not give a definitive diagnosis of mesothelioma. The actual biopsy of tissue, while sometimes difficult to interpret, usually leads to the confirmed diagnosis. Pathologists have special studies, especially something called immunohistochemistry, in addition to microscopic examination, that all greatly aid in making the diagnosis. There are different subtypes of mesothelioma, but two of these types, called epithelioid and biphasic mesothelioma, make up about 70 to 90% of mesotheliomas. Asbestos is the most common cause. Asbestos fibers can penetrate so deep into the lung that they cause a chronic inflammatory reaction extending all the way out to the pleura. Asbestos fibers have been shown to alter the function of protective cells, 
And then the fibers can create conditions which make it easier to develop mesothelioma. Asbestos may also have other immunosuppressive properties which make it hard, harder for the body to fight cancers. You may be aware that there are other asbestos-related diseases such as asbestosis and lung cancer itself. But remember, mesothelioma is similar to but distinct from lung cancer. In some cases, there can be co-carcinogens or contributing factors. Even a virus called the SV40 virus, but exposure to asbestos appears to be the main factor in 80% of more of mesothelioma. So these are some facts concerning the location of mesothelioma, its cause, its symptoms, and its diagnosis. The next speaker will be Dr. Hetty Kindler from Chicago, and she will discuss with us several other important aspects, including treatment approaches in this disease. I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Carolyn? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Grella. That was outstanding and just a wonderful presentation and um, a wonderful overview, actually, and just setting the tone for today's program. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well, so thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Hetty Lee Kendler, and Dr. Kendler is Professor of Medicine, Medical Director, Gastrointestinal Oncology, Director, Mesothelioma Program, the University of Chicago Medicine. And Dr. Kendler will be addressing advances in the treatment of mesothelioma, treatment options, the role of clinical trials, how research increases your treatment options, managing side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and guidelines to prepare for telemedicine, telehealth appointments, including technology and prepared list of questions. It's really my great pleasure now to introduce and to bring on uh, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hetty Kendler. Hello, um, I'm Hetty Kindler, and I'm really delighted to be speaking with you today. Um, as Carolyn said, I've been asked to speak about treatment advances, clinical trials, symptom management, and telemedicine, all in the next 15 minutes. Hopefully, I can touch upon each of these and be ready to answer your questions. It is a really exciting time right now for new mesothelioma treatments. Since 2003, the standard of care chemotherapy for mesothelioma has been the drug Olympta, otherwise known as Pemetrexed, with a platinum, either cis or carboplatin. And this was the only drug approved for mesothelioma for the next 17 years. This combination helps to shrink tumors, helps patients feel better, and helps them live longer but it was the only one we had until 2016 when the MAPS trial showed that the drug Bevacizumab, also known as Avastin, a drug that targets the blood vessels that feed tumors, was shown to delay the time until the cancer worsened and improve survival. And while not formally FDA approved, it was widely used in patients under the age of 75. There have been many, many, many agents studied over the years, but it was not until October 2nd of this year that the FDA finally approved a new standard of care treatment for patients with mesothelioma. This is a double immunotherapy combination of ipilimumab and nivolumab, which I'll refer to as ipinevo, save my voice. The brand names are Yervoy and Opdivo. The difference between immunotherapy and chemotherapy is that chemotherapy targets the DNA of dividing cells. It tends to work for a more limited period of time, and it has more predictable side effects. Immunotherapy enables your own body's immune system to attack the tumor, and because your own body is involved, responses can last for a long time. While immunotherapy tends to be better tolerated, side effects are a bit less predictable as immunotherapy can cause inflammation in any organ. The trial that led to this breakthrough was called Checkmate 743, and it compared the prior standard, Olympta plus platinum chemotherapy, to the Ipinevo immunotherapy. The results were so game-changing that the combination was FDA-approved in record time, about two months after the data was presented and before it was even published in a medical journal. So we don't have all of the data yet in the public domain, 
and there's still much more we need to learn about this combination. What we do know is that this trial showed that immunotherapy with IPI and NEVO helped patients live substantially longer than chemotherapy did. And when patients responded to treatment, the responses lasted a lot longer than with chemotherapy. As Dr. Grawler just explained, mesothelioma comes in three subtypes, epithelial, sarcomatoid, or mixed. I like to think of these as three flavors, chocolate, vanilla, and swirl. The sarcomatoid, or chocolate subtype, does not respond as well to chemotherapy, but responded so dramatically to the combination immunotherapy that these patients actually lived more than twice as long as if they, if they received the immunotherapy than if they had received chemo. So now any patient with a non-epithelial meso, that is a sarcomatoid or mixed mesothelioma, should start with immune therapy. The epithelial subtype also did better with immune therapy, but the responses were less dramatic. And so these patients really have the option of talking with their doctors to decide which treatment option is best for them. But that wasn't the only advance in 2020. Another advance came from the RAMES trial, which compared the chemodrug therapy gemcitabine, or GEMZAR, to the combination of GEMZAR plus ramasurumab, or Ceramza, in patients who had previously received um, Olympta-based chemotherapy. Ramasurumab is a cousin of Avastin, another VEGF inhibitor that blocks the blood vessels that feed tumors. The addition of ramasurumab nearly doubled survival, doubled the time it took for the cancer to worsen, and worked in both epithelial and sarcomatoid patients. Now, this combination has not yet been FDA approved, but some insurance companies will approve this combination. So this is an option for patients who have failed treatment with immunotherapy and or with Olympta standard chemotherapy. So as you can see, clinical trials like these in which we test new drugs can lead to new drugs being approved for mesothelioma, new treatment options for other patients, and from the patient's perspective, can increase your treatment options and help other patients with the disease. Even though we have some exciting new treatments for meso, they're still not good enough, and not all patients benefit. And there are still too few options, which is why we need clinical trials. We offer clinical trials to patients because we hope they may be better than standard options or if there are no more standard options available. There's no guarantee that they will work or work better than standard, but that is how they are designed and that is what we are hoping for. Most trials these days target the specific biology of the tumor, looking at specific molecular on-off switches in the tumor, and include targets such as BAP1, NF2, CDKN2A, mesothelin, and other switches that help the tumor to grow. We can break trials down into phase one early stage trials that try to find the dose and side effects of a new drug. These are most commonly offered to patients who have already received multiple types of treatment. Phase two trials look at the response to a drug in a specific group of patients, and the phase three trials are the comparative trials, which compare the new drug or drug combination to a standard of care, and these are the trials that may or may not have a dummy pill or a placebo. When you enroll in a trial, you'll be given a consent form that often can appear to be a daunting 20 or 30 page document that lists every possible side effect and every detail of the schedule, down to how many teaspoonfuls of blood are drawn at a time and what are the side effects of the drug and of the CT scans you get to monitor the treatment. These are meant to be informative, but it can seem scary to get all of this information. So make sure you are comfortable with this before signing up for the trial. As Dr. Grala emphasized, communication is key in managing the side effects of any treatment. 
Most symptoms from the disease or from the chemo can be alleviated as long as you are in communication with your team about what these are so they can work with you to relieve them. Make sure you ask before starting any treatment what the expected side effects will be so you're not surprised and you know what is expected and what is out of the ordinary. Make sure you know who to contact when symptoms arise. Is it your nurse, the physician, the PA, the palliative medicine doctor, the person on call, and how best to reach them, as office phones and pagers may not be the best approach for people working remotely. Now, as I said before, chemo has very predictable side effects, nausea, vomiting, constipation, fatigue, Olympta can cause a runny eyes and runny nose, all chemos can cause lowered blood counts, the white cells that help the body to fight infection, the red cells that carry energy and oxygen, the platelets that help the blood to clot. Immune therapy is generally better tolerated, but because it can cause inflammation in any organ, um, it can cause a variety of symptoms. And so if you're having a symptom, even if you don't think it's important, it's important to let your doctor know. If you're having worsening shortness of breath, it might be pneumonitis, inflammation of the lungs. If you're having increased diarrhea, it could be colitis, uh, inflammation of the colon, um, et cetera. There are many of these side effects, and your doctor is, um, of course, very well-trained to monitor them and to help you get through them. Now, telemedicine has really revolutionized the ability of doctors and patients to communicate with each other during the pandemic from the safety of their own living rooms. I'm in my living room right now. My most important piece of advice to make the most of the limited time you have on the visit is to test out the technology on your computer or smartphone well in advance of the visit so that you're not spending your time during the visit trying to figure out how to log on, but you're actually in the visit with the doctor. If you want family to join you at different locations, this is a wonderful advantage of telemedicine. Make sure you send them the link ahead of time so they can join in. Usually these visits have a limited amount of time because the doctor is scheduled back-to-back with multiple telemedicine visits. So you want to make a list of your questions ahead of time. And surprisingly, you can actually communicate a great deal via the telemedicine visit. If you have a rash, you can show that to the doctor, a new lump, the doctor can see it. And you can really communicate one-on-one with how you're feeling um, and what problems you're experiencing. So I'd say there's a lot that can be communicated via telemedicine, so try to make the most of the technology by being prepared. And with that, I'll hand this back over to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kindler. That was really outstanding and just a lot of wonderful information for everybody. And I know that there will be a lot of advances in the treatment of mesothelioma. So I thank you for this information. And I know that there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Ms. Donna Wilson. And Ms. Wilson is um, she's a, she's a nurse. She's a personal trainer, a clinical fitness specialist, Integrative Medicine Center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and founder and head coach of Empire Dragon Boat Team, BCS ACS. And uh, Ms. Wilson is going to be discussing physical activity issues and tips and um, stay tuned. I think she has some wonderful information to provide. Um, Ms. Wilson, and my esteemed colleague. Hi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, it is very exciting me to be here and to hear this really positive information about the treatment of mes- mesothelioma. Um, I have been working with these types of patients for many, many, many years. And the one thing that I want to get through to everyone is that and it's my tagline, is keep moving. If we're improving the treatment, you don't want to wait till the treatment shows that it's doing all the great things, and then you're too weak to do anything. So the first important thing is to understand is that you are using the muscles of your chest wall and your diaphragm to breathe. And when you use those muscles to breathe, you want to maintain the diaphragm, which is the largest muscle for breathing, is a skeletal muscle, just like your arms and your legs. So to keep that really strong is is really important. To do slow, deep breathing. I have been on YouTube for years, and I'm around. If 
anybody needs any help, but I do Zoom classes with people and really help them with breathing. When you breathe in through your nose, you get the diaphragm to move. And then you breathe out slowly through pursed lips, creating back pressure in your cheeks and really get a long breath out. The most important thing to remember with movement is never to hold your breath. So I'm going to talk about some of the movements now is that the most important thing, any treatment we go through causes fatigue of some sort. Plus, there's the aging process of our bodies just causes fatigue if we don't move. So the most important thing is as you're going through treatment, you may feel like a weakness or you might feel like you're less flexible or maybe sometimes the immunotherapy that causes some joint discomfort. All this, what you want to do is if you push a little bit through it and move, you can prevent and improve those side effects so they're not as debilitating. Um, and now I know you say, well, I can't go to the gym. I can't. I have been working from home for the last six months. I do Zoom classes with hundreds of people on them to exercise at home. So all you can do is t- sign in and you, we can exercise. The other thing is let's talk about what you want to do. Think about it. What muscles do you use to just even get out of a chair? The muscles you use are those big thigh muscles, those leg muscles. So things like doing a chair squat, standing up and down, and doing it correctly by breathing out when you're standing up. Or when you're walking, you can walk in the house and just walk around and get your chest lifted and your shoulders back. And so you're standing up straight so that you can really keep the chest wall open. Um, The other things you want to do with the upper body is keeping the shoulders Um, really flexible. So doing arm circles of any direction is really important. Stair climbing, we always have stairs in our way. It seems that way. Stair climbing, I know with lung patients is usually like, oh no, I can't do it. They look at the stairs and exhausted. But think about this. If you use the power of breathing out, you will get up those steps. So If you see steps, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to put my one foot on that step and I'm going to breathe out and lift my whole body up. Then I'm going to go to the next step and breathe out. The stronger you get your body, then you'll be able to breathe out maybe every other step. But it's important not just to say, I can't do it. Always try, but think about how to use your breathing pattern to the best. You know, the power of breathing and the, is it's it's really the perfect exchange in life. And, you know, you're breathing in oxygen, you're breathing out carbon dioxide and, and toxins. But the most important thing is think about it. When you breathe out, when you push something, when you pull something, when you bend over to pick something up or even put your shoes on, do not hold your breath. Breathe out as you bend. And then when you come up, you're taking a nice, better breath in. And remember, when you're breathing in and out, breathing in is a shorter period of time than breathing out. So you, you, think, you can think of this. Breathe in for the count of four and breathe out for the count of eight. If at any time you become extremely short of breath and you're not sure what to do, take your chin, put your chin down, and just breathe out until you feel that tension going away in your neck and your feeling of breathlessness. Then breathe in through your nose and breathe out gently. Take the time several times a day, say four times a day, take your time and do four or five Big, deep breaths, sitting in a comfortable position, chest lifted, shoulders are down, and breathe in and breathe out. You know, a lot of research has shown many things, and now we know that we know that all patients with cancer need to move. We know that it decreases the side effects of treatment. We know it decreases the level of fatigue. We know that it it improves your physical being and your physical performance to perform activities of daily living. So if anything, I hope this can motivate you a little bit um, and just to keep moving. I work at Integrated Medicine, MSKCC. You can always find me. I'm Donna Wilson. I'm here to help. But the most important thing is if you keep moving and the treatment is better, you can enjoy your life a bit more.
Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Wilson. That was really um, amazing. And uh, in a very brief amount of time, you certainly have inspired everyone on this call. So I think that, um, thank you. I know there'll be there'll probably be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So thank you. Thanks. And our next speaker, and this is our partner organization on today's program, and so fitting um, to have this organization with us on the call today, the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation and Executive Director Mary Hestorfer, um, my esteemed colleague, um, and she's a nurse practitioner, and she has been with this foundation for so many years, and we are just um, honored to have her and the foundation as a partner organization on today's program. Um, and Ms. Hestorfer will be addressing the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation's free programs and resources and we'll give you information about all the resources they have to assist you. And it's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Hestorfer. Well, thank you very much for the kind introduction, Dr. Messner, and thank you to all of those that are participating in this call, uh, both the patient and community population, as well as the doctors, nurses, and social workers. So the foundation was founded in uh, 1999, and our main purposes are to focus on research, support, education, and advocacy. So it's a big mission that we have, and what I'd like to do is take you through a little bit through all of the programs to let you know what we're doing. So I'll start with research. Uh, the Mesothelioma Foundation has actually funded over $10 million in peer-reviewed research over these years. Um, we currently have what we call an LOI out, which is, what, which is letters of intent. Those letters of intent come to the foundation and they're reviewed by a number of members of our scientific advisory board who are experts in the field of mesothelioma. They will then select the most promising projects and those people with the promising projects are invited to submit a full proposal. Those proposals then will be reviewed by the scientific advisory board and community members, because we, we felt that inviting community members to sit on these discussions is important because we want to hear what's important to you. Um, so with everything we do in this foundation, I think you'll find that you have a voice. Um, very excited to see what we fund this year, um, and I know that you know this is all spurred by uh, donations from the mesothelioma community. In terms of support, we have a number of support avenues. We have a telephone support group uh, for patients, for caregivers, and for bereaved. Those, care, those groups meet once a month, and they're led by people with experience in mesothelioma. Um, and people find it very helpful to be able to speak to their peers, you know, be it a caregiver or a patient being able to speak to other patients, and bereaved because, you know, that sadness, particularly around the ho holidays, it's so important to be able to connect with people who really understand what you're going through. In addition to our peer-reviewed, um, excuse me, in addition to our uh, support programs that take place via telephone, we also have private support groups on Facebook. And what private means is that the general public cannot see the members of these groups, they cannot see what's being posted, and the members of the groups are by invitation only. Um, so patients are screened, caregivers bereaved, everyone is screened to make sure that we do our best to protect the privacy of our, um, of our members. Um, education is something that um, has been so important to the foundation. Um, we used to hold a yearly symposium, um, and that symposium brought together experts in the field of mesothelioma, as well as uh, the community and interested parties. And the focus of this was really to bring the research right to the patient and family members to facilitate one-on-one -on -one discussions about, you know, what was taking place in research, what the available treatment options might be, and to put those faces in front of researchers so they know who it is that they're working so hard to be uh, working so hard for. Um, you know, with COVID, we had to cancel our conference, and that created an opportunity for us to think about how can we reach people? How can we provide this education in the home front? So we've created a new program called Meso TV. Uh, you can find links to Meso TV on our website, which is uh, curemeso.org. And Meso TV is uh, it's it's just has been a wonderful opportunity um, to provide information to uh, to the community. 
we started uh, during the onset of COVID where we began to interview uh, our experts at various institutions to find out about the changing rules that were taking place at their institutions, um, what clinical trials might st still be available, what might have been put on hold, um, were they taking in patients, um, and we really tracked this around the country and we kept up with really the breaking news so this way as we guide patients, we knew who was doing what where. We've also now, um, you know, as COVID has continued, we have now have moved into the areas where we're interviewing experts about clinical trials. Um, we're also interviewing experts about some of the published studies uh, that are coming out and really keeping everyone updated on um, mesothelioma research, mesothelioma treat treatment, as well as other topics that I think might be of interest to many people on the call today. Uh, we've had survivorship panels. Um, we've had a, we had a, a physician who spoke on uh, vaccines, and not COVID-related vaccines, but those typical everyday vaccines that healthy Americans get, flu vaccine, pneumonia vaccine, shingles vaccine, and one of the recommendations for people who maybe have a compromised immune system or who carry the, dose, uh, carry the diagnosis of mesothelioma. So I think that that was a very important topic. We interviewed, uh, we interviewed ex, um, educators because we wanted to find out, you know, how people transition to this distance learning. Because, you know, patients and caregivers, um, you know, they may wear those hat and those roles, but they're also mothers and fathers and grandparents, and they're all working from home and trying to do the best that they can for the children at home. So another helpful topic. Of late, we interviewed um, experts in the field of fertility and OBGYN, and we had a panel of mesothelioma patients, some who were in the midst of fertility treatments and some who've actually delivered babies post-treatment. Um, again, these topics really came from the community of things that they were interested in, and we, you know, we really did our best to meet the needs. We've recently uh, created a community advisory board, and that advisory board consists of patients, caregivers, and bereaved, and they sounded, they, they're a sounding board for the foundation. Um, we, you know, from the board of directors, um, we, come to the, uh, we come to the community advisory board with ideas that we may have. And it's a, a free-flowing stream of information from the community advisory board to the board and back and forth. So this way we really address the needs of, uh, of you know, the entire community. It's been an exciting time. Um, we recently had a, you know, um, a get-together on Zoom where the Community Advisory Board hosted um, a, a group call. Um, we had a tremendous amount of people in the call, and we were able to divide people up into rooms, and it's totally social. You know, usually we're focused on all the important things of mesothelioma, and it's nice sometimes just to be able to socialize and to share that, you know, I'm just not a mesothelioma patient. Um, artist, um, I'm a musician, I'm a book reader, I'm a, I knit, I have grandchildren, and to, you know, to really connect on a more humane level. And then the last piece of the program that I, I want to get to, um, well, actually two pieces. Um, we have a travel grant program, and I think this fits in very well with a lot of uh, what Dr. Kindler was speaking about. So our travel grant program is meant for patients diagnosed with mesothelioma who are seeking uh, an expert opinion and do not have the means to travel to that expert opinion. And then also for patients who are enrolling in clinical trials. You know, oftentimes clinical trials um, regulates the patient to travel back and forth and to stay in cities, you know, quite far from home. And our travel grant program provides funding to patients and their caregiver uh, for, for, uh, for travel and for hotel. Um, it certainly is based on need, but, you know, um, small application, and we do our best to fund as many of these patients as we can because not only does it help the patients, but it also helps the research community because we get answers when people enroll in clinical trials and, you know, hopefully um, we see a lot, of, a lot more progress in the disease. And lastly, the other focus that we, um, the other area of focus is advocacy. Um, we work very hard uh, with state legislators trying to make sure that government funding for mesothelioma is available. Um, due to our advocacy efforts, we were able to get ourselves listed under the Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program, which provides large grants to researchers with a focus on mesothelioma. 
and every year we go back to make sure that this program continues to exist. We're working very hard right now. Um, right now we have money actually in the Appropriations Committee uh, to start funding a mesothelioma patient registry, uh, which is a very exciting new project that we hope to kick off. Um, we're waiting to see whether uh, this, the budgets get approved, but this would be a pilot registry. Um, and it will be housed at uh, NIOSH, which is part of the CDC. So, you know, as you can see, you know, we have our finger in every pot of mesothelioma. And I myself am um, a nurse practitioner who's been treating mesothelioma patients for over 23 years. I did the math today and said, wow, I'm getting old. Um, and so I understand the clinical aspects of the disease as well as the psychological aspects. And my role is to make sure that every patient I speak to is referred to the appropriate doctor and to an appropriate clinical trial. And like Cancer Care, we're a 501c3 charity. So you know that we do have the best interests of this community at heart, and we serve as unbiased sources of information and support. So thank you for this partnership, Dr. Messner. And oh, with that, I'll turn so the call back to you. Oh, thank you so much, um, uh, Ms. Hestoffer. That was really outstanding and wonderful and a wonderful resource for everybody. And at the end of the program today, you're all going to get an, a, a SurveyMonkey evaluation. But in addition to that, we will be providing all the resources that were mentioned during the program. And for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, are not using the resources of Mesothelium Applied Research Foundation, you'll be getting all of their links and everything. So you'll be able to, and phone numbers, you'll be able to contact them as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is Charlotte Ferenz. Charlotte is, uh, Ms. Ferenz is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. Um, and she will be addressing Cancer Care's free programs and services for the mesothelioma um, community. And um, so I'm now going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Ferenz. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. I'm honored to be a part of this program today. My name is Charlotte, pronouns she, her, hers. My role at Cancer Care as a social worker involves working with people diagnosed with cancer, their caregivers, and the bereaved, as well as helping facilitate a specific grant that we have for people diagnosed with mesothelioma. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of cancer. During the past year, Cancer Care has worked specifically to ensure that people diagnosed with mesothelioma have access to additional support through our financial assistance program. In addition to the emotional burden of being diagnosed, the financial burden that can accompany a mesothelioma diagnosis in the form of cost of travel, lodging, and additional expenses, it, it all adds up. To see if you're eligible for our financial assistance within the United States, you can always call our HOPELINE at 1-800-813-4673. And if eligible for our grant, an initial amount is dispersed and the rest given upon receipt reimbursement. But even if our grant is not something that you qualify for, Cancer Care Oncology Social Workers can also help you find additional resources. By calling the HOPE line, individuals also have access to national case management services, and this involves a short-term strength-based approach to case management, where the social worker will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, financial assistance, and this can be with people with mesothelioma or their caregivers. When people are first diagnosed with mesothelioma, they might not initially think of that financial cost. But once they found a doctor and treatment team, they may be faced with added cost of traveling long distances for specialists, like we've mentioned before, and getting back and forth from where you're staying. With the added travel restrictions in many places due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it might be difficult traveling to specialists safely, and we're here to help out as best we can. Making informed treatment decisions, quality of life concerns, and communicating with one's medical team are difficult in the best of times to navigate. So working with an oncology social worker, whether through case management, counseling, or support groups here, can provide you with that space to express yourself in a comfortable and safe environment. Our comprehensive services at Cancer Care include the case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops like this one, publications, financial and copay assistance. Many of our services, though, depend on where people live, so it can be helpful to utilize our hope line and ask our social workers what services are available in your area. 
If you're interested in learning more about the support services that Cancer Care offers, again, I do encourage you to call us on the Hope Line. It's 1-800-813-4673 again. We are here to offer you support, and we really do look forward to hearing from you. It's been lovely to be a part of this program today, so thank you so much for your attention and allowing me to speak. I'll turn it back now to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Friends. That was outstanding and just wonderful presentation as well. So lots of resources for people, and we hope that everyone will take advantage of the resources of Cancer Care as well. And now before we take questions, so please prepare your questions. We just have a, a few more questions to ask all of you, and so I'm going to move on to our We have uh, four questions at the end of the program just to see um, where you are now in terms of what you've learned. So um, they're yes, no questions. And so the first one is, um, as, uh, and this would be question, uh, as a result of this workshop, I better understand the treatment options for mesothelioma, either yes or no. And then the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I know more about advances in the treatment of mesothelioma, yes or no. And then next, almost next to last, as a result of this workshop, I feel better prepared to manage side effects, discomfort, and pain, yes or no. And the last question is, as a result of this workshop, I feel more confident about tips to keep active and physical, keep active and physical activity, yes or no. Okay, I want to thank you all for participating in this. And now we're going to take questions um, from all of you. I know some of you are queuing up for questions already, but I'm going to ask Michelle to explain to our participants how to cure for questions. I'm also going to ask Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board so we can all uh, take turns addressing your questions. Um, So, um, Michelle. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Okay, and we have a question from our online participants, and this question um, is for Dr. Kindler. Are there benefits to getting surgery in addition to chemotherapy? And then actually, does getting surgery mean there is less chemotherapy? Uh, So, yes, I didn't have a chance to address the role of surgery. So for both pleural and peritoneal meso, uh, there is a role for surgery in selected patients. So in pleural mesothelioma, it means that the cancer is only in that half of the chest um, where it started in and has not spread. In a patient who is physically fairly well, does not have a lot of other what we call medical comorbidities, other serious medical illnesses, then um, what we would refer to as maximally debulking surgery, uh, usually called an extended pleurectomy decortication. Peel a grape in a box heal the linings around the lung while keeping the lung in place can uh, decrease the volume of tumor that's left. It's kind of like peeling the white stuff off of an orange. It's never a complete resection, but it can remove the vast majority of tumor in in selected patients. And then one can give uh, chemotherapy either before or afterwards to kind of mop up the remaining cancer. Um, studies have shown that patients who get surgery plus chemotherapy um, can live longer than those who get only surgery or only um, chemotherapy. We do not understand fully the role of immunotherapy plus surgery. Those studies are still ongoing. Surgery is appropriate for the appropriate patient, the fit patient, and at a center where they do a lot of these surgeries, they are very complex. But in the appropriately selected patient, uh, patients can do quite well. Excellent. And another question for you, Dr. Kindler, is chemotherapy and immunotherapy ever done together? Excellent question. 
So uh, there are uh, several studies that have been done looking at chemotherapy, Olympta plus cis or carboplatin, with a single immune therapy drug, Dervolumab, that in clinical trials have shown a great deal of promise. And there is now a large international study comparing chemotherapy to chemoimmunotherapy, chemotherapy plus immune therapy. That is not standard of care right now. It is still investigational. Uh, but indeed, as we learn more, we may determine that certain subsets of patients will do better with chemoimmunotherapy and others may do better simply with doublet immunotherapy. And that's why these clinical trials need to continue so we can investigate and determine the right treatment for each specific patient. And another question for Dr. Kindler. Um, has anyone started the recently FDA-approved immunotherapy infusion combination of a pedo plus um, Yervoy for plural mesothelioma? And if so, what side effects have they experienced? And does this combination appear to be more effective than Keytruda? And if you could answer this in a general way, because this is a very specific question to an individual, but perhaps there are some general concepts that you can help Everyone understands. So the Aptivo, uh, the Aptivo Uruguay combination is the one that I've been referring to as Ipinivo. The brand names and the and the doctor names are a little different, but that is the combination of the two immunotherapies. There has not been a study that's compared the doublet immunotherapy of Ipi plus Nivo to the Keytruda by itself. Um, there has been one study that looked at two drugs versus one drug, but it wasn't a directly randomized trial. Um, what we understand now is that the, the frontline combination of the two drugs is clearly superior to chemotherapy, but exactly which patient might do better with one drug versus two, we don't fully understand that yet. Um, in terms of side effects, immune therapy can, uh, causes the own, your own body to attack the tumor and so your own body can also begin to attack itself. Not quite as scary as that sounds, but you uh, can develop inflammation in any organ. Uh, the most common one is either some mild itching or a mild inflammation of the thyroid so that the function goes up and then down and you need to take thyroid replacement. But you can develop shortness of breath called pneumonitis and that needs steroid treatment or diarrhea called colitis and that needs various treatments, or hepatitis, inflammation of the liver, inflammation of the pancreas is, is diabetes, inflammation of the adrenal glands, and called adrenal insufficiency. There are a wide variety of different ones. Many of them are lab values that your doctor will be monitoring. Um, you can have skin inflammation and get a skin rash. Most patients will only get one or two of these, even though you're going to read about all of these different ones in your uh, when your doctor uh, gives you a consent form for treatment. Um, but there are a variety of treatments and, and uh, side effects, and you need to uh, always make your doctor aware if there's anything that's going on that is out of the ordinary. Um, but clearly, I've treated many patients with this combination, and I've had some patients with incredibly dramatic responses, uh, both to Ipinivo or simply to uh, the Keytruda. Uh, so I think these are very promising treatments for the appropriate patients. Excellent. And um, that's another question again for Dr. Kindler. Um, how come so I did not? Today. I know. You are. <laughs> um, how come I did not get staged for my mesothelioma? Um, how do I understand my condition better if they don't stage my cancer? Those are really good questions. So in some <laughs> cancers, we stage cancer one, two, three, four, and sometimes there's an A or a B after those numbers. And those are in cancers where the stage predicts the outcome. And so a patient with a stage 1 breast cancer is going to do very differently than a patient with a stage 4. Mesothelioma is a much more challenging disease to stage. And when you stage it, you're looking at various factors that are very difficult to determine on a CT scan, how far the tumor travels through the lining around the heart. You can't see it on a CT scan. Um, how many lymph nodes there are in the center of the chest or is it just pleural disease in the center of the chest? So a lot of times the stage can only be accurately determined um, at surgery, and many patients do not have surgery. But even more importantly, stage isn't as important in meso as the pathology, what the cancer cells look like under the microscope. 
the chocolate vanilla swirl, epithelial sarcomatoid, or mixed. And so a sarcomatoid stage 2 is going to do differently than an epithelial stage 2, and that actually overrides the stage. So the most important factor in prognosis um, is the uh, histology, the, the uh, pathologic subtype, epithelial sarcomatoid mixed. Thank you. And um, so I'm going to give this question first to Dr. Kindler, and then if you'd like to, if Ms. Wilson wants to comment as well. But the question is, can exercising help me with nausea? What type of exercise will help it? So I think the first issue is the nausea, because I, the, if you could comment on the treatments for nausea um, for people. So exercise is probably the best treatment for cancer-related fatigue. I am not aware, but perhaps Ms. Wilson is, of um, of exercises that can specifically help with nausea, but nausea is something that there are many things in our back pocket to treat. There are many different medications, and the treatment of nausea, um, as Dr. Grala taught me very well, is really a matter of uh, targeting multiple different receptors. And so there are multiple different drugs that can be used, and um, sometimes it's a matter of trial and error, but more commonly it's a matter of adding a different drug each time to block a different receptor. Um, so, and I'll let Ms. Wilson answer about um, any exercises that might be of benefit. Ms. Wilson, do you want to comment? Or? Sure. I, I think the most important thing is slow, deep breathing so you can relax the stomach a little bit. So that's mostly what I do with people with it, just slow, easy, deep, slow breathing and really breathe out and just sort of relax the stomach. I mean, I also tell people to do a little peppermint or to do ginger tea. Sometimes mm -hmm. that helps. But it's really not, no jarring, no exercise to really jump around. It was, it's more relaxation breathing. And, and uh, Dr. Gall, do you want to comment on this too? Because uh, we know that uh, I know you often talk about preventing nausea. So if you could comment on this as well, because it's yeah, so important, people yeah, understand. So I think it relates to what uh, Dr. Kindler was talking about. So uh, she mentioned that one of the older treatments that still has value involves the use of platinum drugs, and there we need to prevent the nausea or vomiting with. Uh, very good anti-emetics, anti-nausea, vomiting drugs. Fortunately, the rest of the medicines that uh, uh, she talked about, including the immunotherapy, often do not cause nausea or vomiting, which is great, or the nausea or vomiting is easily treated with uh, uh, rather simple medications. Now, of course, not the only reason for having nausea or vomiting is is chemotherapy or treatment. It can also involve pain medicines and other things. And their adjustment of the medicine or finding the cause of the nausea is really important, and that can lessen it. And there are some uh, uh, medicines recently brought on board, such as a drug called olanzapine, that uh, at times can be helpful for uh, um, when it's difficult to determine what the cause of the nausea is. So fortunately, except for the platinum drugs where we have some pretty good anti-nausea medicines, most of the other treatments are not uh, big causes of nausea, usually fairly easy to manage. And then there can be the other causes of nausea, which we need to find th those causes so we can more specifically address that issue. And I agree with Ms. Wilson also that relaxation is, is a good first approach. Excellent. Well, I have to say, I know there are many more questions in queue and that we could literally go on for at least another hour, but I realized that we said this was an hour program. And so in fairness to everybody, um, I just want to thank our speakers. I also want to thank our participants because, um, you know, you merely ask such great questions that really enhance our program today. And um, I also, just in winding up the program, I just want to thank everyone for your participation today. But I also want to let you know that um, for those of you who asked a question or for those of you who still have a question to ask, please go back to your treating healthcare team 
even if you asked a question today, ask the same question of them. And if you didn't ask a question or think of another question you want to ask, ask your healthcare team because they are they know the most about you. Um, you also will be, um, as I mentioned, get a survey monkey evaluation, but the evaluation will include all the resources of today's program. So the mesothelioma applied research foundation will be mentioned as well as cancer care services as well as other organizations that can help you um, but those those are two that we featured today um, and certainly um, uh, Ms. Hesdorfer was very impressive in terms of all of the resources that are there and those are that's an organization that specifically and I believe it's the only organization specifically um, is um, designed to help everyone living with mesothelioma so both patients and caregivers and family members and loved ones, so basically a wonderful resource. And for Cancer Care, we do have a host of services that you can access as well. It's okay to get to go to multiple places to get help. It's fine um, as long as that works for you. In this instance, um, the more resources sometimes, the better in terms of as long as you stay um, in close touch with your healthcare team. That's very, very important that your healthcare team, of course, are critically important um, for all of you. So um, again, also we're entering a time of year um, that for some is a holiday time of year. And even if it's not your holiday, it's this kind of time of year. Um, and although with the pandemic and everything that's going on right now, people do feel a bit more isolated and feel alone. Now it's normal to feel isolated and alone um, in general in coping with mesothelioma, but it's also uh, common for to feel more so than usual. So we want you to take advantage of all the support services that are out there for you. That's really important. Um, so that um, so that um, we recognize that, and both your healthcare team, so with weekends and holidays coming up, please check with them and see, um, you know, who you can call if you run into some problem on a weekend or evenings so that you have uh, uh, one of your, the, the team who know you available to, to contact. That's very important as well. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.